the podcast for women in film and television. Welcome to the WIFT Austin podcast. I'm Elizabeth Newman, co-president of our Austin chapter of Women in Film and Television. And today we'll be chatting with filmmaker Chelsea Hernandez. Chelsea is an award-winning producer of film and television and has been since the age of nine. Yep, that's right, nine years old. A native Austinite, Chelsea is an eight-time Emmy-winning director, producer, and editor in the Texas region for her work on the PBS documentary series, Arts in Context. Chelsea's short documentary work includes See the Dirt, 2012 Austin Film Festival Best Short Documentary, and An Uncertain Future, 2018 South by Southwest Texas Short Jury Winner, Aspen Shorts Youth Jury Winner, Dallas International Film Festival Best Texas Short Special Mention. Chelsea's latest project is her first feature documentary, Building the American Dream, which explores intimate stories from the front lines of the construction industry as undocumented immigrants fight for their basic rights. We're so glad to have you with us, Chelsea. Thanks for having me. So tell me this. So when you were a child, you hosted and co-produced a children's educational television program with your mother. Tell us about that. Yeah. So <laughs> my mom was a producer at the access station here in Austin. And for people who have recently moved to Austin and may not know it, but the public access station in Austin has been just this kind of landmark and just a great place where the community can get involved with media, really. And so back in the early 90s, my mom, who was interested in video, and at the time it was like the height of craft shows, wanted to have her own craft show. And so she became a producer there, checked out equipment, took classes, editing classes, video classes, and got a buddy of hers to help her with a, a craft show that she hosted. So I got to see her pick up a camera, deal with microphones, deal with all this techie stuff, and then also perform like in front of the camera. And that was really cool to me. And I would help her out and it's kind of a family affair. My sister was probably like five at the time and she would help out too. And then I told my mom, well, I want to be in front of the camera. So she said, okay, yeah, let's, let's try it out. And we came up with this kind of kids variety show where I did crafts and cooking and traveled around Texas and went to little towns to give kids ideas of places they could visit, you know, <laughs> hoping they could tell their parents to, you know, take them to these towns. And so it was just like this variety show that we did, I got to learn, you know, how to host, how to memorize scripts, how to write you know, how to produce. I was producing with my mother. My dad would be the camera person sometimes. Got to learn how to deal with the microphones. And then I would sit in the edit room with my mom and we would both edit the shows together. And they played on the access station. And we started getting noticed like in the community. And sure enough, like the Statesman did a, a big piece on us, Austin American Statesman and other news outlets were picking up what we were doing. And then 
the CEO of the NBC affiliate at the time read one of our articles and decided to buy it and bring it on to their station. And so then we were on the WB and NBC affiliates airing after Animaniacs on Saturday mornings. (laughs) So that's kind of where I got my start in interest in media was just this kind of little community venture my mom had started. That's so wonderful. What a great inspiration to you to be able to sort of see it firsthand and to have access yourself. Did you and your mom ever have creative differences or or how was it working with how was it working with your mom? It's, it's wonderful that it was such a family affair. Your sister was helping, your dad was was there. I was joking about the creative differences, but how was that? Well, families, there's no absence of arguments, <laughs> of course, you know. So, you know, there was always that challenge. I think it was definitely collaborative in a sense that I felt I could like tell her, oh, wait, I don't like that. You know, it's really funny. We have this one news slipping from this like Dallas news source and I'm like giving direction. I'm like nine years old and I'm telling my mom, no, I don't want to do that. I want to do this. (laughs) So it was like a back and forth, but it was like a discussion. I was really into crafts at the time too. Like at the time, Martha Stewart was my idol, you know, so I was following like what people were doing. And I think it was also too that like, I hadn't seen any kids like doing the sort of stuff and being crafty and, and artistic. Like we would also bring on kids who had certain talents as well. Like they were musicians and they would perform on the show or they were would show you how to paint. So I think we were hoping to inspire kids to take on a hobby or seek out their artistic obsessions, you know, and just kind of be this platform to, you know, uplift that. I had a lot of ideas. My mom had ideas and we just kind of, you know, meshed them together and yeah, I went from there. How inspiring to let children see themselves doing great projects or inspirational projects or taking ownership and having literally having a voice to share this platform with the community. What was one of the most surprising things about the show, do you think, for you? I guess the surprising thing was that people were watching it. <laughs> one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And this is like before YouTube, before any sort of Facebook, you know, social media. So all we had were, you know, people would write us letters, like kids would write us letters. And seeing that was really just exciting. And it inspired me to continue to move forward. And then you know, Austin is a big town, but it still has a small town vibe. And so I would get recognized when I would go out to places. And I kind of still do sometimes. <laughs> My face is still the same, really. <laughs> I'm, a little, I'm much older, but. And then also just, you know, I think kids really had fun, like coming on the show also. And like what you said about them having a platform to share their voice. Like I had like elementary school friends who was Italian and she would go to Italy every summer to stay with her family. And so she just had this like insight to Italian culture and traditions and all these little memorable items that, you know, meant something to her Italian culture. And she came on and, and talked about all of that stuff. And it was like her voice like her point of view, and she was like nine years old. It was cool to see other people have a good time coming on there and, and feel like they were the experts, you know, and they, we were all just kids. <laughs> yeah. No, but it, it, it is so wonderful. I have an eight-year-old daughter 
And um, I think it, it is so powerful for children to feel like, and, and, and as they legitimately do, they, as you say, they do have expertise, they do have ideas. And I'm so grateful to your mother for supporting, supporting you all and, and your, the rest of your family for doing this project when you did it to kind of give that sense of pride to, to children and as an ownership because it's important. It's important in informing who they are and that, you know, it could be easy to sort of pat kids on their head, say, oh, that's so great. You're in second grade. Like, oh, isn't that so cute? But right. giving them a place to, to share their knowledge and it, it is legitimate knowledge and share their burgeoning talents. Um, it's really what a, what a gift to them and to, um, and to all the children watching and the parents um, and inspiring. That's so, um, what, a, what a fantastic project that, that developed organically, right? Nobody right. was like, well, she's gonna be a star. Right, right, <laughs> yeah, like yeah, no, totally. And I think what was surprising to me too was that my mom did just like, let me just watch her really. Like, I don't know if she was doing it on purpose, you know, but I mean, we would go to the public access, you know, because my parents worked full-time jobs. So this was always, you know, after work in, or after dinner in the evenings sure. where she would schedule time at the access station to edit. So we, and she would bring me with her and it'd be like nine o'clock at night and she'd go in for like a four hour session to edit. And this was before also like desktop computers, sure. you know, yeah. and Final Cut and Premiere. So she was editing like tape to tape with you know the clicks of the buttons and the wheels and I would just sit there and just really watch her and you know I think what surprised me later on in life was how that moment maybe had an inspiration on like where I would end up like eventually and you know editing is my trade and I think back of like oh you know I thought I was going to go into hosting and being a broadcast journalist, but then I decided to go like behind the scenes and be this director, producer, and editor. And I didn't actually think I would go the editing route, but then looking back, I'm like, oh, I don't know why that's surprising to me because I just always watched my mom edit things, you know, and saw how a piece was put together, you know, in the edit room, which a lot of people don't have that experience of and and not, and not at like eight years old saying that, you know? Yeah. No, it's so great that she was there to model for you in her own time. It's also just shows how important it is to have resources available to folks who, who want to do this, who great their time is at 9 p.m. to be able to, to do this work because it's coming from a place of, of passion. Let's talk a little bit about what you're doing now. Tell us about your latest project, Building the American Dream. Um, what inspired you to tell that story? And if you can just share with us a little bit about it, that'd be great. I had been living in Austin for a while, and then I moved to New York City to do some college there. And then I moved back to Austin to kind of help with my family. And I transferred to the University of Texas. And while I was attending school there, there was a scaffold collapse at this luxury condominium building near campus. And three workers had fallen to their deaths and all of them were Latinos. And I don't know, I guess growing up in Austin, I just always thought of my town as this very liberal place. I think everyone, when they come here, think of it as this progressive city. Sure. And so when that had happened, I was kind of stunned that 
it had happened one, but then upon learning more about, you know, how it happened and then finding out about just the exorbitant amount of accidents that happen on construction sites in Austin. And I also found out that like half the workforce in Texas and the construction industry was undocumented. It just shocked me. And so I had filmed a little bit that year and I like gathered some friends and there was this big rally and this organization, Workers Defense Project and the community made 145 life-size coffins and like marched downtown Congress. And so we filmed that and I thought to myself, wow, like, I don't think a lot of people know about this issue. And, you know, at the time too, Austin was just booming. The skyline was changing drastically. And yeah, I just started thinking about like all the people who died, like building each of the new buildings that came up, you know, and I was still finishing up college. So I was like, okay, this is like a big story and a big project to do. You know, it's investigation. You would, I would need a budget. I didn't know how to do that. So I thought, well, I'll just kind of like put it on the back burner. And if no one does it later on, like maybe I'll pick it up, but I need to get some experience out in the field. And so I ended up doing that. And then sure enough, like 2014 came around. So about like four years later and no one had done anything. And the New York Times had written this like national article about Texas and the death happening there. And still like no one was doing something. So I was like, you know what? I got to do this because accidents were still happening. Latinos were just like being exploited. And I just felt compelled to tell this story and kind of wanted to awaken people up to in like progressive cities like Austin and Dallas, which is where one of the stories in the film is based as well. So yeah, 2014, I I hired on a grant writer and we raised enough money and filmed for about four years. And then it had its world premiere at South by Southwest in 2019, and then just broadcast on PBS this last fall in 2020. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. It shows really the breadth of time it takes to create a piece like this. And it's such a, a wise decision to get the experience under your belt to make sure, since the story was so important to you, to make sure that you were in a position where you could tell it the best way that you could with an experience and with some, some I imagine, some life under your belt as well, and professional experience and giving it the time, the, sort of the time that it, it needed. Yeah, definitely. I, it was helpful because I had those like four years before I even went to a grant writer. I had all these articles I was like saving, you know, and all this research I had already done because it was already, you know, at the top of my mind just thinking about it because it had changed my own view of like passing a construction site or, you know, looking at the news and picking up on these construction accidents that were reported or not reported and just understanding the issue. And then it was just so easy then to like, yeah, really come in with my grant writing and be like, here are the facts, here's what's happening. Here's like how we need to tell this story. And and she put all my thoughts and my research on into like a real film treatment, you know, to help us get the money. That's so great. So as a, as a Latina of Mexican American descent, how do you see, how do you feel about the inclusion or, or lack thereof of Latinx culture in mainstream Hollywood? I mean, we've talked a little bit about Austin and Dallas and progressive cities. What are your thoughts, if you don't mind sharing, about 
kind of representation in, in Hollywood cinema? There's a long way to go to get full representation of the Latinx community in Hollywood. It's sad, to be honest, like it makes me really sad. And, you know, to see when the Oscars come out, it seems like there comes a campaign, you know, like the Oscars hashtag uh, Oscar so white. And we all thought it was going to change. And the Academy was even bringing in more BIPOC producers and directors. And then like the next year, I, I forgot who it was, but a whole bunch of people got snubbed and we were all back to one again, you know. And with the Latino community, it's just the lack of representation is just unfathomable. Like, yeah, it's just really upsetting to me. So I try, I think because I'm always thinking about it, I try to uplift others in my community that I see have an interest you know, in film and try to help them out, you know, whether that's through having a phone conversation and talking about like, you know, careers or my own like path to making movies and hopefully that inspires them or gives them some ideas. You know, I started this group called Tejanas in Film, which is a private Facebook group for Latinas in Film. I just started meeting a lot of Latinas, to be honest. And and we didn't have like a, a place to like congregate, but we had all these thoughts about our representation in Hollywood, in media. And so I thought, well, we should just, you know, at least have happy hours or something, you know? <laughs> yeah, like let's, let's convene, you know? But we're also like everywhere. And I think for me, it was also picking up on specifically Latinos in Texas also, who were trying to work in film, but also wanted to stay here in Texas, you know, because that's a whole nother part of the equation too, is like, there are stories like Hentified and Vida that have come out, which I think are great. And I really love those shows, but it's still a, a Latino story from like this California viewpoint. Mm -hmm. um, and Texas is like, very different, similar in many ways, but also very different as well. And even like Latinos in New York, you know, you have Puerto Ricans and, yeah. and Florida, you know, so there's still a lot to be done in that sense. And I think when I started thinking about the Tejanas and film group, I also wanted to have a place where like Texas Latinas could be inspired to like stay here and make their stories of, you know, from their own like lived experiences here in Texas and just uplift our voices here in our stories. Because I think what we're seeing now too is as much as people are talking about like how to be inclusive, you know, with race and gender in the media, it's also about like geographic representation too. So mm -hmm. I think it will still be a while before we fully see that representation. But I think there's a lot of like storytellers in Texas that are just like, on the verge of like, you know, making it big or, you know, going farther. I mean, the Selena, the series Netflix show, there were a lot of writers on there from Texas. So that's really great to see. And I just, I hope that, you know, it does uh, increase and, and we can really, you know, make big strides in the industry. But I think it's going to also take all of us helping to uplift others, you know, especially like emerging talent, whether that's like in front of the camera or behind the camera, just recognizing that like, oh, hey, this crew is not diverse. <laughs> like, let's think about like who to hire, you know? Yeah. 
you know, at, at WIFT, our, our slogan is connect, support, and empower. I love that. I, and I, I think it can, that can work in so many ways, as, as you say, kind of lifting each other up. Right. Do you have any specific advice for new female filmmakers who are sort of new to the industry? Uh, it says that you, some of the things you do is get on the phone with folks or, or um, help them share ideas or any, any other advice that you can think of off the top of your head? Yeah, I think people are always surprised to know that like you can reach out to, you know, a person that you really admire. And if you want to talk to them, you can reach out to them. You know, I, it's not that they'll respond all the time, but you will be surprised how many, some people will respond, you know, and be able to take the phone call with you. So I would suggest emerging media makers to reach out to someone that inspires them in the industry and also look at who's making things. I always like to look at credits, you know, look at the executive producers, the producers, all the roles to see what, who these people are, their names, and then research them, see where they're at and try to go to, you know, now we're all in this virtual space, but I think people are having like networking mixers and, you know, events like NALIP, the National Association for Latino Independent Producers, they put on programming and just trying to go to these spaces where you can talk with people and get some, you know, advice and maybe even, you know, get a mentor. I think also too, there's a lot of, I never thought about this at the beginning of making my film, but I was suggested it from some colleagues of mine, but there's so many like film labs and like mentorship programs and maybe they don't come with money, but they come with so much more like mentorship and resources and just like ideas of like where you can apply for grants. And then you just start meeting all these people from all over the country or world who you bond with. And then they'll always look out for you. I've just had so much fun and just incredible help with the Firelight Media Fellowship I was in. And also I did this Bay Area Video Coalition National Media Maker Fellowship also. So I would really encourage people, especially if you're emerging, to apply to these these labs and mentorship programs. They're just incredible and not to just film school, but <laughs> really, really good schooling <laughs> these labs. That's that's great advice. And um, you know, you're talking about right now there are a bunch of virtual networking. Um, how how has the pandemic been for you? Um, <laughs> how's it been this worldwide pandemic? But yeah. in, in terms of work, um, how, how how have you been sort of existing creatively in this space? Yeah. You know, I feel really grateful at the beginning of the pandemic, I was a producer actually on this doc series for CBS All Access, and we just kept going. I mean, we had just wrapped principal photography. Like oh, this, lucky. <laughs> oh man, like the day after, it, that's when we went into lockdown. And I was like, whoa. Yeah, it was. Wow. It was crazy. So I feel super grateful for that. And then we moved into post and they kept me on as the last producer. So I was able to help in post-production and any sort of pickups for any of the shows or any of the episodes and was able to, you know, work on that show remotely for the most part 
all the way through August. And so I feel so lucky and grateful I was able to do that. And then it was pretty much doing that and getting my film ready for PBS broadcast. So we had to cut that that down from 73 minutes to just under an hour and doing the promotional campaign and impact campaign for that as well. So I kept really busy, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, but I will say it was just disheartening not to be able to travel the year before. I feel again, grateful that my film like world premiered before the pandemic at South by Southwest where, you know, we could have an audience and having that audience is just makes me so sad talking about it but you know there's just it's when you're making an independent documentary too that's about a social issue like having that personal connection with people in the audience for them to tell you how they felt and hear the reactions and stuff it's it's a really big deal and so I do miss that part last year or 2019 I was able to travel with the film I was going somewhere like every month with the film and sharing it with communities and film festivals. So I really miss that part. And I'm excited to see how festivals are turning into a virtual space. You know, it took me really a long time <laughs> to actually like get into that space because, you know, you're at home, you're working on other stuff, you, you know, are thinking about cleaning, you know, your room. <laughs> Time, time is its own sort of animal. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And then taking care of your own mental being too. Like yeah. I, I realized too, I was just at the computer like way more than I was before because now my home is like my office, my, you know, my dating place, you know, I, yeah. to hang out with my partner and, and also the entertainment place to watch movies and So I've got to get out and, you know, make sure to go on a walk and go outside and stuff. So it, it, it took me a while to like accept the virtual film festival space and just accept to the nature of like, oh, in order to connect, to keep up my connections with people, it's all going to have to be online. But it took me a while to do that. And I think now I'm finding a groove and I did participate in Sundance as far as like I went to films and talks and stuff. And so that was a fun experience. Um, Okay. So I have a really kind of just fun question that we like to ask. Okay. If there was a movie to be made about your life, who would play you in the movie? Who would you wish a dream, you know, dream world? Who would you like to play you? Dream world. I would love America Ferreira to play me. I think that is such great casting. (laughs) I think, (laughs) yes, please. I would love that too. (laughs) Um, do you want to tell us a little bit I said you mentioned that you're branching out into fiction Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about some of that or other projects or kind of again we can go back we can go into sort of dream projects 10 years from now 20 years from now oh yeah yeah sure I can tell you I'm venturing out to fiction I'm still working in the documentary space, developing another project, but the fiction piece I'm super excited about. So as we were talking about just like Latinas in film in Texas, I was realizing that I think it was probably done intentionally without me thinking about it, but all the people I was hanging out were these Latina filmmakers who were working and living in Texas. Myself and four other Latina filmmakers are working on this anthology feature and we're all writing pieces that 
are inspired by our own lived experiences as Latinas in Texas, growing up in Texas. So yeah, and we're taking on different cities because, you know, Texas is so big and very different and, you know, the West and the East and the South. So my city will be actually San Antonio, where I was born. And yeah, so I'm excited. I'm also super excited to film there. I've always wanted to film something in San Antonio. So looking forward to showcasing the neighborhood my family grew up in and, and just the, yeah, the beautiful sights of, of that city. It is a beautiful town and yeah, I'd love to see it on screen. That sounds great. That's what a wonderful project as you were saying, the sort of geographic, I'm from New York myself and so New York city. And so yeah, the, the space in Texas is, yeah. is mind-boggling <laughs> it's mind-boggling and as you say there's each city has its own distinct well there's you know texan culture mm-hmm. each city and each neighborhood has its own sort of unique rich history what a very cool project um, yeah thank really you look forward to hearing more about that and with wift talking to y'all. <laughs> yeah for sure so where can our listeners find you online yeah, definitely. I do have a website called pandabearfilms.com. So if anyone wanted to contact me there, there's a contact form on there that they can reach out to me. And then I have an Instagram. I think you can just search. My handle's really weird. <laughs> and I like want to change it, but now I kind of can't because I have these followers, you know. <laughs> yeah, my Instagram is blue and then Seachel, S-E-A-C-H-E-L. And then you can also find me on Twitter at Panda Bear Films. And then I have a website for my latest documentary, buildingamericandream.com. And we are just about to launch educational distribution as well. So if anyone is a teacher or works at a community organization or group and wants to have a screening, they can head over there and contact us about that. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us and our listeners, Chelsea. It's been so great having you here today. Thanks. I had so much fun. Movie reviews. Let me put y'all on something real quick, okay? My new favorite movie thriller is called Fractured. It came out in 2019 and it is so underrated. And this movie is crazy good directed by Brad Anderson and written by Alan McElroy. The film stars Sam Worthington as Ray Monroe and Lily Rabe as Joanne Monroe. The movie is about a couple who stops at a gas station where their young daughter's arm is fractured. They rush to the hospital where weird things are going on. People are disappearing, the nurses are hiding something, and no one seems to be giving the family answers. After Joanne and the daughter Perry go downstairs for an MRI, Ray passes out in the lobby. Once he wakes up and asks about his family, the hospital doesn't seem to have a record of his daughter at all. That was really weird. And the questions that Ray and Joanne are being asked are really strange. Like, would you like to put Perry as an organ donor? And what's her blood type? Those questions seem to be by the book, but the nurse kept pushing the organ donor question, which... That was extremely strange. The point of view of the camera on Ray's face most of the movie is creepy and the ambiance music gives this film this mysterious vibe. Throughout the movie there are constant questions about what's going on, where are Joanne and Perry, 
What is the hospital hiding? Were the wife and daughter kidnapped? Then bam, a twist. I of course will not talk about the twist here, but if you would like to chat about it, you're more than welcome to find me on social media and we can geek out together. The lighting in the hospital is very dark and bewildering. There's definitely something up and Ray seems to be coming unhinged once he realizes that his wife and daughter are missing. Sam Worthington did an incredible job of acting like he was completely insane the entire film. One of the best performances I've ever seen of his. There are a lot of close-ups which add to the creepy setting. It's a very intense movie and I would highly recommend putting your phone on do not disturb and paying attention. It's one of those features where if you look away for a minute, you can miss something. I rate this movie a 10 out of 10 and you can find it on Netflix. Have a great day. Member Spotlight. On today's WIFT Member Spotlight, we have Teresa Roberson, who is a self-described one-woman production company. She is also the secretary on the WIFT Austin board. Welcome, Teresa. Thank you. First, tell us a bit about yourself and what your focus is within the film and television industry. I recently, as in maybe two years ago, decided I wanted to take my storytelling to another level or at least another medium. Mm-hmm. I started off as a writer, and then I produced and hosted the Austin Writers Roulette, which was a monthly theme-inspired spoken word and storytelling event. And in order to embrace something different, because I did that for eight years, I had to end that. December 2019, and that was so, I had not even heard of coronavirus, which I think put me in good company with most of my fellow Americans. Mm -hmm. And as soon as that hit, I was just like high-fiving myself, like, wow, I knew something (laughs) told me after eight years Mm -hmm. of, you know, producing this live show, which I loved until I didn't. Mm-hmm. At, at a certain point, it became a chore, and I was really looking at another way to tell a story, which wasn't what I had been doing for the past eight years. Mm-hmm. And so podcasting came onto my horizon because it's more affordable than filmmaking, honestly, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it was something that I could do and this is why I became a one-woman production company because with a laptop and a headset and the apps on my laptop hey I just wasn't this lone woman with a laptop I was a production company Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I launched two podcasts this year I made my directorial debut as a filmmaker, and because I'm a one-woman production company, I edited those things, and I did Mm -hmm. it all with my laptop, so I I stopped thinking of myself as, again, just this woman with a laptop and said, no, 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 I've produced things. Mm -hmm. I've taken it from start to finish. Let me not diminish myself and my role in, in what I'm doing. I love that. What are you working on now? Oh, now I'm going to throw you a curveball. 
I, I am editing because, of course, everybody is meeting on Zoom, just mm-hmm. like we are right now. Mm-hmm. We had a family reunion, and I'm editing that. And it's so fun because my mother's maiden name is Strange. That oh. is her actual surname. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. And so it was the 79th Strange Family Reunion. And my mother is a better talker than I am. She's a much better storyteller. So the first two episodes of the Strange Family Folklore features my mother. And I'm going to interview other descendants of Jesse Strange, who was my great-grandfather. Mm-hmm. He was born a slave and became free as a young man, and he ended up having 12 children. We refer to those 12 children, and they were all born after the Civil War, so Mm -hmm. they are the first freeborn generation. My mother's the second, I'm the third. So I'm Mm -hmm. trying to interview all of the second generation of the strange freeborn clan or tribe. There's about close to 800 of us who are alive. And that's just, you know, my mother's father's side of the family. So that's been fun. Wow. My first podcast is called CBD and Poetry. Mm -hmm. I started using CBD. I started selling CBD. So I thought, hey, I'm going to combine these two interests. And I have season one out. It was eight episodes. And season one were my friends who were CBD users and the plan, and it's still the plan, is to have season two to be entrepreneurs. Mm. And that's still on the horizon, but with so much interest among my family for me to document our folklore. Oh my goodness, the first episode. My mother was telling things that the rest of the family wasn't ready Mm. to be revealed. And so I had to cut out a lot. And it's still entertaining, so I'm told, but you can imagine censorship is never a good thing. But right. I respectfully bowed to the extended family and it's just mm-hmm. like, okay, you guys are not ready to acknowledge things like domestic violence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not ready to acknowledge that there are white people who have a common black ancestor with us. How powerful of a project. That's so inspiring to kind of see you take your mm-hmm. eight year long project, really your baby, <laughs> and then be able to channel that energy into something, you know, just as powerful and using your skills to do that via podcasting. That's really great. What drew you to WIFT and what do you hope to get out of being a member? Well, as I like to uh, joke about, one of our co-presidents, Alicia, mm-hmm. she and I were fellow yogis before mm-hmm. we had to do yoga at home. Mm-hmm. And one of my fellow yogis said, oh, what are you up to, Teresa? And I said, oh, I'm so excited. I'm taking my very first screenwriting class. And of course, Alicia's ears just perked up and said, oh, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you're, you're taking a screenwriting class? And that's how I became the secretary. She wow. recruited me from a post-yoga class, like women's locker room. That's how it happened. <laughs> I love that. Where do you see your career in 10 years? Expanding my production company. Let's just mm. put it like that. Because the curveball that I alluded to uh, earlier mm-hmm. is actually my third novel. Or excuse me. It's not even a novel. The first two are. This third one is called The World's Sexiest Dictionary. 
Mm. And that project, I am, I mean, you can't call it a sexiest dictionary without illustrations. So mm, I yeah. have a lot of illustrations uh, to complete. Mm -hmm. But that has been the most relaxing thing. Mm, like, so you're doing the illustrations yourself. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. When I say one woman production company, you just, <laughs> if, if the world is still shut down, I'm going to figure out how to, you know, distill my own alcohol. I was a yes. science teacher. <laughs> I made yes. mango wine when I was a Peace Corps volunteer. I know how fermentation works. Oh, you are the one that you want to be I stuck with chemistry. during the zombie apocalypse. <laughs> right. Right. As necessity arises, I'm going to continue, as long as I have an internet connection, mm -hmm. to teach myself how to do things. That's so great. So how can people find your work or get in touch with you? I would say the best thing to do is go to my blog, which I have maintained for going on 11 years now, mm -hmm. which is mathdreads.com. Math as in one of the subjects I used to teach and then dreads my hairstyle. My podcasts are on there. My writing is on there. The two books that I self-published, the links are on there. So that's like the one-stop shop. Well, thanks so much for talking with us today, Teresa. It was great to get to know you and hear about what you have going on. Becoming a member of WIFT Austin gives you access to a wide network of women in film and television, just like Teresa, discounts on events and services, and plenty of chances to advocate for more opportunities for female identifying folks in the industry. If you're interested in learning more about how to become a member, please visit wiftaustin.com slash memberships. Entertainment news. This is Kelly Coffey bringing you some entertainment news. Pakistani Nobel laureate and activist Malala Yousafzai's new production company, Extracurricular, has signed a multi-year production deal with Apple TV Plus to produce dramas and documentaries focusing on women and children. Apple, who produced a documentary about Malala in 2015, previously teamed up with her Malala Fund in 2018 to promote secondary education to young girls across the globe. Malala says, I believe in the power of stories to bring families together, forge friendships, build movements, and inspire children to dream. I couldn't have asked for a better partner than Apple to help bring these stories to life. Malala, who survived the Taliban assassination attempt, is an Ivy League graduate, Nobel Prize winner, best-selling author, digital publisher, and can now say she stands deservingly in the ranks of Apple's impressive roster of visionary artists like Oprah Winfrey, Steven Spielberg, and Martin Scorsese. Malala is 23 years old. Davida Scarlett, writer and producer of shows like The Good Fight, Truth Be Told, and Queen Sugar has just signed a multi-year deal to develop new shows for the CBS studios. Previously, she had teamed up with Oscar winner actress Weiss Witherspoon to develop a drama called Kin, about three generations of women forced back into each other's life for the Stars Channel, in which Scarlett wrote the original script. And finally, South by Southwest is rolled into Austin this year, although fully digital due to the COVID-19. The festival, which started in 1987, has over half of its films written, directed, or produced by women slated to premiere in 2021. Four of the eight films competing in the narrative feature category this year are from women directors. They include I'm Fine, Thanks for Asking, 
Women as Losers, Here Before, and The Fallout. In the documentary feature category, five out of eight titles are directed by women, including United States vs. Reality Winner, Subjects of Desire, The Return, Life After ISIS, Kid Candidate, and Introducing Selma Blair, which was picked up by Discovery Plus just prior to its South by Southwest premiere. The festival's centerpiece film will be Mary Wharton's Tom Petty, Somewhere You Feel Free, documenting Petty's time while working on his Wildflowers album. South by Southwest was held online this year with a shorter schedule from March 16th to March 20th. And that's it for entertainment news. Until next time. This episode of the WIFT ATX podcast was produced by Samantha Ray Lopez, Kelly Coffey, and Chantel James. Our editors are Shannon Steffen and Miranda DeVere. Summer Hart is our social media guru. You can find us on the web at wiftaustin.com and on social media at WIFT Austin. Thanks for listening, everybody.